Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show, where we go over everything that happened this week. Of course, with Bayern Munich being on break, there has not been a lot of game action to talk about, not a lot of preparation for an upcoming game or anything like that revolving around Bayern Munich. But like most international breaks, BFW has really taken a dive head first in the, into the German national team. So we will definitely talk about that. I do want to touch upon what happened last week with Bayern Munich's last game before the break as Bayern dropped a decision to Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, I have some thoughts on that match that I think, you know, listen, it's one of these things where I went into that expecting that Bayern Munich had taken this leap as a squad, that Julian Nagelsmann had made this imprint on his team that they would not let down in that situation. They were coming off of a tremendous run of success. A lot of big victories in that run, including one over Union Berlin, a couple over PSG. The team had all the makings of one that had gotten over the hump into being a very mature unit. But I think as we saw against Leverkusen, they did look past that team. And and Leverkusen is not one of those squads in the Bundesliga that you can take lightly. I think when you have a young, hungry coach like Xabi Alonso who wants to prove himself and who no doubt wants to use Leverkusen as a springboard to a bigger opportunity, he was going to take that match, get his boys ready, and use it as an opportunity to showcase himself. And he did that. Uh, what he also did was take advantage of a Bayern Munich team that looked exi- like completely unmotivated. Uh, they looked flat. They lacked cohesion. They weren't sharp at all. It, it was a pretty dull effort from Bayern Munich by all means. Uh, I was very disappointed in what I saw. That said, it's not the end of the world. Bayern Munich definitely can rebound. They can absolutely get it together. But I think when you factor in all of that success that they were having, the fact that this was the last game before an international break, undoubtedly some players were going to be checking into their respective countries. Others were probably going to take a couple of days off. If you're Thomas Muller and Bunasar, you were working out together at Strasse, trying to hone your skills. But either way, there were a lot of distractions heading into that. And I think that Nagelsmann tried some different things with his lineup. I think he's got some players right now who are a little bit of a programmatic non-fit, one of my favorite terms, uh, for what he's trying to do right now and the positions that he wants them to play, Sadio Mane being one of them. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But I wouldn't put, put too much weight in that defeat at the hands of Bayer Leverkusen, but it does put Bayern Munich in a pretty difficult position. Uh, They're in a spot now where they can ill afford to have many more slip-ups. So I am expecting that Nagelsmann is going to right the ship, get them back on track, and at least have them zeroed in on the Bundesliga. Of course, we found out that Bayern Munich is also uh, getting ready to face Manchester City in the Champions League, which is a whole separate set of issues, uh, which we covered on the reaction show last week. But uh, as of now, I think Bayern's in good shape. I do think that they, they need to reboot and refocus. And I think that Nagelsmann has to, uh, 
he's got to make some changes in terms of how he uses players. I think what we're learning about some of them is that they are limited in the positions that Nagelsmann has available in this 3-4-2-1 formation. I think that not every player is as versatile as he would like. So he's going to have to be keenly aware of that because you don't want to be in a position against a team like Manchester City or a team like Borussia Dortmund who is going to be able to take advantage of you having one player who's uncomfortable in a role. So uh, I think Nagelsmann's got some work to do, but I think ultimately he'll get the team refocused in on what is important. And that's first and foremost, being in a position to win the Bundesliga. Secondly, getting prepared for Manchester City and ensuring that he's got the best possible 11 in the formation he thinks will give the club the best opportunity to win against a, a powerhouse in Manchester City. So uh, there is some work to be done there, but I, I'm not going to freak out too much about a loss as untimely as it was. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's one of those unfortunate losses that does happen over the course of a season, but it happened at a very bad time in terms of the standing. So Bayern Munich does have some work to do on that front, but we did have a lot of other stories emerge this week. And I'm going to rip through some of them. Uh, Some deserve a little more time than others. But one of the things that we saw earlier in the week was that Bayern Munich and Benjamin Pavar are at least kind of having some talks right now. Pavar's agent, uh, he spoke recently to the media about what's going on with Pavar's contract. Um, Obviously, right now. Bayern Munich likes what they're seeing from Pavar, and honestly, what's not to like about what you're seeing from him of late? Uh, and Pavar has always said how comfortable he is, and there's been uh, quite a few stories recently about how happy he is in this new role, playing as a center back in, in Julian Nagelsmann's back three system. So I think Pavar right now is is at a he's at a very comfortable place, and and maybe as comfortable as he's ever been at Bayern Munich during his tenure. But I think where this all leads is to an ultimate decision this summer where Bayern Munich has to decide if Nagelsmann's going to deploy this back three system, he's going to need a minimum of four starting caliber center backs. Right now you have Matthijs De Ligt, you have Dio Upamecano, and you have Luca Hernandez who will undoubtedly uh, have himself ready to go at some point early next season. If you look at some of the social media posts that are going around now, uh, Hernandez is already working with the ball, which to me is nuts. Uh, But either way, you need that fourth center back who is going to be able to rotate in there and give the other three a break and also be just as good as they are. You don't want to have that drop off. So I think it's a position right now for Bayern Munich where they need to extend Benjamin Pavar. And it's not to say they can't go out and find another center back, but you've got a player who is ingrained with the club who has versatility and is flexible. He can also bump out and play a right back spot, a right wing back spot. Uh, He can do those types of things. He does give you a little bit of an offensive boost in terms of shooting. He has a flair for the dramatic with how he scores goals. He's good in the box and on headers. Sure, he's not the kind of player like Alfonso Davies who's going to bomb up the flank and get involved in the offense if he has to play out wide, but he has shown the ability to make an impact on both sides of the pitch. He has absolutely been a a, a not just good player, but a great player for Bayern Munich this season, and I think it would be wise for the club to resign him. He's making €8 million per season right now. 
there is no doubt that whatever happens with him, he's going to to get a raise probably somewhere into that 10 million euro to 12 million euro per year range. I think that that is undoubtedly going to happen, whether he sticks with Bayern Munich or he moves on. But when you're faced with this kind of deadline where he would be entering his lame duck season at Bayern Munich, I think the club has been burnt so many times in the past with having to lose important players via free transfers that they need to know that Pavar is either in or he's out heading into next season. So I would expect the discussions with Pavar to really start to ramp up uh, maybe toward the end of April and definitely leading into the summer, because I think Bayern Munich needs to know if they're going to have to go out and find another center back or if they can depend on Pavar to be that man. I personally want to keep him around. I think he's been great this season. I think he does so many things well, and and, and I think he's gotten a little bit of a raw deal at times. Listen, I didn't think he was bad as a right back. I know there were several people that did not like the way he played, but I think when you have someone playing opposite you like Alfonso Davies, who does get up the field and who does not always get back to defend, you have to play a little more conservatively. I think Pavar, when he was a right back, did that. I think some people probably mistook that as uh, him not being aggressive is him not fitting into the Byron style, but I think he probably was just doing what he was coached to do when playing opposite Alfonso Davies. But either way, he wants to play center back. Bayern Munich needs a center back. He has done exceptionally well as a center back. It all makes sense. I think you bring him back unless he is in a position where he's going to double his salary and upset the apple cart for what you're paying the other center backs on the team. I think if you're getting him in that 11 to 12 million euros per season range, I think that's a really good deal for both parties. I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I think that Bayern Munich should get a deal done with Benjamin Pavar. It makes sense on every level. He's got the support of the coaching staff. He is by all accounts, very comfortable with where he's at. And I think if Bayern can pledge to him that he can stay at center back and he will be in the regular rotation, that, he would be inclined to sign that deal, and I hope that he does because I think it's a good fit, especially under Julian Nagelsmann. It's not easy to play under Nagelsmann, as we've seen. He likes he likes to tinker. He likes to move people around. But Pavar has really seemed to benefit from not just Nagelsmann but other members of the coaching staff. I think it just makes too much sense not to happen. One of the other big stories that we saw this week was – one that leaked out from Forbes of all places that FC Barcelona might be considering selling Robert Lewandowski. And of course, when you're at BFW, your natural inclination, when you look at the situation, even though you might have a lot of skepticism as to the reality of Barca selling Lewandowski after one season, would you bring him back? Of course I would. I would absolutely would. But to give you some kind of backdrop on on the craziness that happened since this Forbes story dropped. Of course, we we wrote it and our own RIPLT uh, had the honors of writing that one. It was a little bit of a kind of social media frenzy that went on. And, and let me give you some inside info here. So Tom, after the story had broke and we had our story posted and there was our official tweet, Tom had just posed the question, which, as we know on Twitter, can often ignite a, a, an inferno. So Tom posed the question, would you bring him back? And then he got a host 
of Barcelona fans <laughs> that, that really attacked him on Twitter, which I think it's funny because, uh, you know, it's Barca fans and they get very, very sensitive. But we also had Bayern fans chime in as to whether or not they would bring Lewandowski back if it was possible. So we had all of that going on. And then we wake up Thursday morning after all of that happens on Wednesday and we get a message from Phil who says, hey, guys, uh, I think Robert Lewandowski followed BFW on Twitter. Now, Phil did not take a screen cap of this, but it was just hilarious to me that in how all of this happened uh, over the course of Wednesday when we had that story drop. Then we followed it up with Byron uh, potentially spending money. Some quotes from Herbert Heiner on whether or not Byron would spend money on a striker this summer. We we kind of posed the question within that, would Byron be tempted to bring Lewandowski back? Uh, surrounding all of that Lewandowski news, we had Phil, whether he dreamed this or not, <laughs> said that he saw a notification that Lewandowski had followed bfw which to me is hilarious because we had just had all of those somewhat controversial post drop and so many different replies on twitter with people bashing tom for even presenting uh, the, the forbes story within a question but anyway i thought that was funny with Lewandowski. of course by the time like phil got to us like he had probably either unfollowed us or it was some kind of hack account uh, fake account whatever but I, I kind of think that Phil, his eyes did not deceive him. Lewandowski probably got caught up if he was scrolling Twitter and read the story and maybe hit follow and then thought better of it. Maybe he he found some of those stories back from 2018 where I said he was a jerk, but Byron needed him, which is, I still believe like, listen, the guy can be a great player. He's probably a little bit of a jerk, but I would take him on a team anytime because I, I believe that when you're a striker, you kind of have to have that attitude a little bit that people need to get you the ball. They have to consistently be feeding you. I think that's what Robert Lewandowski wants. I don't, I think he gets along with his teammates fine. Well, except for the fights with Hummels and Coman, but either way, I think Lewandowski is a great player and that either Barca or Byron would be happy to have him. When you look at that, would I take him back at Byron in a heartbeat? Now I know that, that Lewandowski did not like, uh, at least there were reports that he did not like playing for Nagelsmann so much as they were not on the same page with how the team got the ball to the striker. Uh, but listen, if you're talking about making an instant improvement, there is no question that, that if Lewandowski was available and whether he not re- is or not remains up for debate, who knows if the Forbes story is true or if Barca looking to, is looking to shed salary or whatever, however the case may be, if he was available – would you take him back? I absolutely would. I think he would be dynamic back. And I know he's getting a little bit older, but he absolutely can still put the ball in the net. He would be a bigger threat than Eric Maxim Chupomoting, obviously. And I think he could really help the team next season. And of course, it would be on a short-term basis. He's he's older now. I think he's 34. He's he's only got a couple of seasons left, probably. But I, I listen, if you can get him back I, and he wanted to be back, yeah, I would take him back. You'd be stupid not to. But anyway, that whole behind the scenes thing was kind of funny. And we're still trying to workshop whether or not we can find out if Lewandowski really did follow BFW, because to me, that would be really, really funny. And there are some, there are some well-known journalists that follow us and, and uh, some athletes as well. 
Uh, we do get a kick out of that because sometimes we get a chance to interact with them. And Tom does a really good job running the account. So I'm not shocked that he has gotten on the radar of some people like that. But it would be kind of funny if the posts that we wrote on Wednesday and that Tom's tweets about the subject, if those got on Lewandowski's radar, it would be really, really funny, at least to me anyway. <laughs> One of the other things that, that we saw uh, that we didn't cover last week that I think is important to take a look at is the selections that Hansi Flick made with the German national team. And as you've heard and read about all week, uh, Hansi Flick made some controversial decisions. He left home a lot of players who traditionally would be would have been called up. And uh, to me, I think this was the perfect opportunity for Flick to do that. Uh, he absolutely took some chances with some of his selections, but right now they're playing, Germany is playing Peru. They're playing Belgium. These are just friendlies. And, you know, he lost Jamal Musiala right off the bat due to his injury. He lost Armel Belakotchap, who was kind of probably a fringe player, uh, a youngster with some potential, but a fringe player on this roster nonetheless. So he lost those two right off the bat, but he, decided to leave some others at home, which I know upset a lot of people. And I got criticized a little bit for some of the uh, ways that I categorized the players uh, in terms of how Flick selected them. So let's just take a quick rundown of the roster. Uh, he, of course, selected Mergen Barisha from Augsburg, Emery Kahn from Dortmund, Nicholas Fulkrug from Werder Bremen, Serge Gnabry, Leon Goretzka from Bayern Munich. Mario Gutza from Eintracht Frankfurt, Kai Havertz from Chelsea, Joshua Kimmich, and Jamal Musiala, as I stated, even though he won't play from Bayern Munich, Felix Nemecha from Wolfsburg, Kevin Shade from Brentford, Timo Werner, Timo Time from Arbe Leipzig, and Florian Wirtz from Bayer Leverkusen. That group makes up the attack and the midfield. Of course, not a lot of midfielders there. I mean, if you really want to look at it, uh, you're, you're seeing that Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, and Emery Chan are two of the, or actually three of the players that would most occupy uh, a central midfield role, uh, at least out of this group. I mean, some other players can certainly play there, but those three are the ones I think will primarily get the time in leading the efforts in the central midfield. From a defensive standpoint, we did see that um, Armel Belakachev was initially selected uh, Matthias Ginter from Freiburg, Christian Gunter from Freiburg, Tilo Kerrer from West Ham United, which is, uh, I got to be honest, one of those ones that I don't think a lot of people get. I don't think they get it all. So uh, I, I don't know. Flick, for whatever reason, I think he likes Kerrer's versatility, but I'm not really that sure that Kerrer is, is that good of a player that he deserves to be selected, but that's Oh, that's something for another day. David Rahm from RB Leipzig, Nico Schlatterback from Borussia Dortmund, Joshua Bagnoman from VfB Stuttgart, and Marius Wolf from Borussia Dortmund. The goalkeepers, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, Kevin Trapp, Burnt Leno. Leno, of course, is now with Fulham, Trapp with Eintracht Frankfurt, and Ter Stegen with Barcelona. Some of the players that were omitted, and some these are for various reasons, like Manuel Neuer was injured, Julian Brandt was injured, Yusufa Mukoko was injured, Kareem Adeyemi is injured. Um, they all had injury issues that would preclude them from even getting a call because it's just not worth it. But some of the others were Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané, 
Lucas Klosterman, Marcel Hostenberg, Nicholas Sula, Marco Royce, who has been battling injuries off and on, as he seems to always be doing. Uh, Jonas Hoffman, a little bit of a shocker there, as Flick really seemed to like Hoffman. Jonathan Ta, who I, I think is vastly overrated. Um, Antonio Rudiger, who just needed to rest. Ilkay Gunduan, who falls into that Muller mode of veteran who didn't need this call up. And Lucas Nemecha from Wolfsburg. Uh, these were situations where I think that Flick needed to make some tough decisions. Uh, and with that, he, he had to leave some players at home. So I know the big one there was Leroy Sané. And people, I guess, were not happy with that. But for Sané, I don't think this was necessarily a, a big deal. And I, he probably is disappointed like many people would be. But um, it's a situation where the games don't mean anything. Flick needs to see some of these younger players. He undoubtedly knows what he has in Sané. And I don't think that there's friction between Flick and Sané. I, I think when he initially <laughs> coached Sané at Bayern Munich, there was some because I don't think that Sané had really embraced defending like he needed to. Uh, I don't think that they were on the same page with where Leroy Sané should play in terms of what side of the field. Flick prefers those inverted wingers. Sané seems like he's more comfortable playing on the left, being a left footer, uh, which would which would move him away from playing as an inverted winger. But either way, I don't think there's any animosity there. I, I mean, listen, I don't know if Flick likes him or not personally, but I you can tell that he respects him as someone who uh, can not only be an impact player, but is probably a, a starting 11 caliber player on this team. I don't have as big a problem with that just because like Thomas Muller and Ilkay Gundogan, Flick knows them. He understands their game. Even Nicholas Sula, there's no reason to call players like that for these two games. You do need some veterans. So I get why you have Yashua Kimmich. I get why you have Leon Gretzky. You need that leadership. You need that glue to hold them together. And of course, other players who are more veteran on this team, like Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Flick wants to see them because he has to try and experiment for how to use them because all of a sudden Flick has attacking talent. I don't think that that's in dispute. I think that those are talented players. How they perform for the national team has been kind of inconsistent. Uh, and we saw that in the most recent World Cup. We did see a resurgence of Werner under Flick but of course, Werner was injured for the World Cup, uh, and, and I think that, that that it did play a, a role in why Germany had struggled at times. Uh, but Havertz had a great, in my mind, had a, a at least a very good World Cup. Nicholas Fulkrug emerged as a viable attacker. And you had Florian Wirtz, who missed the World Cup with an injury, but he is one who is absolutely on the radar of Germany as a, as a potential leader of this team, as someone who can be one of the point guards of the offense with Jamal Musiala. And that's key to me. One of the things that I think I was most looking forward to during this international break was seeing if Flick was going to use Verts and Musiala together and Musiala getting hurt kind of killed that. But uh, I do think that if you check out what kicker has predicted as the starting 11 for the Peru match, that you're going to get the impression that, Flick was thinking much like I was, which means he must be brilliant. Okay, I'm just joking. But it seems like he was leaning toward playing Musiala and Verts together in a 4 triple two formation. So Kicker has predicted that Ter Stegen will get the start and goal. Marius Wolf, Matthias Ginter, 
Nico Schlotterbach and David Rahm would be the back line. Emery Chan and Joshua Kimmich would be the central midfielders. And the attacking foursome would be Florian Wirtz, Kai Havertz, Nicholas Fulkrug, and Timo Werner. I actually like what Flick is doing here. And listen, I know that the 4-2-3-1 is, you know, it's been gospel for both uh, Bayern Munich and Germany at times, where it just seems like that the team operates best while playing that formation. But I think given this cast of characters that Flick has, he needs to find a way, not just with this group, which is a, a mishmash of veterans and youngsters, but moving forward, he needs to find the best way to use this attacking talent. And I think, you know, when you take Thomas Muller out of the equation and you take Leroy Sané out of the equation, uh, you probably do want to take a look at how Verts and Havertz play as what amount to be attacking midfielders working in tandem. You want to see how Werner's speed complements full Krug's nose for the goal. Can they be disruptive as a foursome working together? And if kicker's prediction is true, which I hope it is, because I do want to see this, I, I'm very intrigued by it because I think it could be something Germany could conceivably uh, have in its pocket for the Euros. So, I think that Thomas Muller will be back. I think Leroy Sané will be back. And I think that they could help fill roles within that four triple two as well. It doesn't mean that you're always going to see uh, a top of the formation like this. I mean, Jamal Musiala, of course, will have some role to play in a starting 11. But this is a, a good thing for Flick. And this is a great time for her, for him to experiment with things like this. So I, I'm pretty intrigued by what Flick does with it, the players he selected during this break. And I'm pretty happy that he's choosing to go this route because I think we're going to give the players an opportunity to function in, uh, to function in ways that we're going to be able to see what they can do. And for players like Werner and Fulkrug, they're going to be given the opportunity to lead that attack at the top. And for Verts and Havertz, I think we're going to see roles for them where they can best be used. And if we get a good gauge on how those four players operate and you back them up eventually with Kimmich and Gretzka working in tandem in the central midfield, I think it really just will come down to can Germany find two outside backs from among the, all of these players that they have tried there? Can they find two outside backs to emerge and really just take the reins and run with those positions? In my mind, those are the biggest question marks on the team right now. It's not the attack. It's not the midfield. It's not even the center backs. It's those outside backs positions, which Germany cannot seem to find anyone to latch on to and take the reins and control the position and become an established starter. So I think Flick's going to look very closely at who he can use out there at those positions. And if anything, I think we'll see a lot of subbing going on for Flick to, to take a look at those things. All I know is I hope it's not Taylor Carrer because I think he has been one of the, I don't know, worst players for Germany in recent years. And I have trouble as much as I admire the job that Flick does and how I think Flick is a great coach. He seems to have this soft spot for Carrer, and I don't quite get that. And it's always kind of bugged me. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I need to see progress more than anything, though. I do need to see how this team functions. I want to see them looking aggressive. I want to see them looking fluid offensively. Even though this is kind of a makeshift back line, I want to see how they communicate in front of Marc-Andre Terstegen. I want to see how they operate in providing coverage when the outside backs get up the field. We know Marius Wolf 
has played some uh, some as an attacker during his career. So he is a player that can get up in the play. I don't know that he's quite the threat that someone like Alfonso Davies might be. But uh, when you when you group him with someone like D- David Rahm, who is also a player that is more attacking oriented, um, you know, you've got the possibility to have a very good attacking group, but you also have uh, the risk of leaving your center backs to expose. So Flick's got some work to do. He's going to experiment a little bit, but I think this is an exciting time for Germany. Uh, they're disappointed in the World Cup, there is no doubt. And Flick is probably at the end of his leash with those at the JFB because he he was expected to come in and at least get this team competitive, at least get them through the group stage, which he did not do. And whether anyone wants to admit that or not, it was a massive failure. And um, yeah, he didn't have all the players he wanted due to injury and they caught some bad breaks. But the bottom line is Germany underperformed at the World Cup and they need to redeem themselves and even though these are meaningless friendlies, they need to go out and really establish that they are a competitive unit no matter who goes out there. Think back to that Yogi Love era where they came off of winning the World Cup. They had won the Confederations Cup with essentially their B team. That's the kind of, for lack of a better term, organizational depth you want to have. You want to be able to have your top level players be able to compete for a World Cup, but you want that next level down to be the type of team that can take out, say, no disrespect, but a country like Peru. Belgium is a little bit different of a case. They have their own issues. Uh, They have a a massive amount of talent, but they are a bit of a mess. If you remember the stories from the World Cup, they were all at each other's throats. So Belgium has its own uh, things to deal with. Germany, meanwhile, just needs to take a look at what it has figure out what works and what doesn't. And hopefully Flick can start building to having the team ready to make a really strong challenge at the Euros in 2024. Finally, one of the biggest stories across all of football that we saw this week break was that Bayern Munich might not necessarily be happy with blockbuster transfer Sadio Mane. And Kerry Howe from Sport One broke the story and it was to me, very interesting to see some of the issues that are arising regarding Sadio Mane and how he has really, I guess you want to, I don't want to say integrated into the team fully because I think he is from a social and team member aspect. uh, He is integrated perfectly, but from a tactical standpoint, he is not, uh, not performing like Bayern Munich would want him. And some of the things that Hal pointed out, and to me, I believe that that Kerry Hal, I think he's a great journalist and does a fantastic job. So I don't think this is one of those situations where this is someone looking for clicks, someone looking to uh, create a controversy out of nowhere. I think Hal had some very valid things that if you're watching the games closely, you probably have thought about Sadio Mane at one time or another. Uh, but some of the things that they pointed out is Mane is, Uh, lacking that same speed and explosiveness that he had at Liverpool. And to me, Mane still looks exceptionally fast, but when as a player gets older, there is the old adage of losing a step. And it wouldn't shock me if Mane has lost a step. When you look at the heavy wear and tear that he accumulated under Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and how often he was used, what he was asked to do, 
in terms of his responsibilities. Um, there is absolutely a chance that that Mane's body is starting to go uh, and work against him, that he could be on the downside of his career. Being over 30, being a player whose game is predicated on speed, quickness, and explosiveness, it's not shocking that Mane is starting to, to slow down a little bit. And while to my naked eye, maybe I don't see that, uh, I was probably more focused on some other issues that I that I had noted myself. Um, I do think that if Bayern Munich is pointing that out and how is talking about it, I think there's probably something to that. He might not be as fast as he once was. Can he adapt and turn his game around to make up for not being able to do all of the same things that he could do when he was younger? That's one of the key things that I think we'll see uh, over the course of the rest of this season from Mane. What kind of adjustments does he make if he truly is uh, lacking a little bit in that speed and explosiveness that he once had. Uh, some of the other things that Hal brought up is that Mane is not really comfortable operating in this back three system. When he plays in this back three, he's usually either atop the formation or operating as one of the attacking midfielders. I don't think either of those roles really suit him. I think he is best suited to play as a left wing in, in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. So naturally, this is creating some issues that he's not playing a position that he's fully comfortable in. And you can tell he has uh, went off sides a ton. Uh, it, at least on the pitch, it looks like he's maybe not fully in sync with his teammates. It looks like he also might be having trouble judging when and how to make his runs, where to make his runs off the ball. Uh, in terms of how Byron is attacking. One of the other things that Hal brought up was that because of how Alfonso Davies plays, it's affecting how Mane plays, that Davies eats up some of that space on the left flank and it's not giving Mane the room he necessarily needs to operate as a, as effectively as he once did. And all of those things do make sense. I think you could make a strong argument that everything that Kerry Howe has listed are things that you've probably seen with your own eyes over the course of the season. Uh, when it comes down to how Mane is performing in training and maybe why he hasn't been selected as much of late, uh, apparently he's losing the ball a lot in practice, and it's become such a problem that the Byron coaching staff has noticed. Now, one of the things that that the Sport One report did point out is that Mane is absolutely been a beast of a defender. He is not shirking any of those responsibilities. And for what he may be lacking in terms of possession at this point, he's making up for in uh, trying to defend and, and at least play both ends of the field. But he is apparently struggling with losing the ball. So when we factor all of this in and we think back to last summer and how excited everyone was about Sadio Mane, and I think everyone had a, a right to be. He was a great player, an exciting player. It was coming at a time where Robert Lewandowski was undoubtedly going to leave for FC Barcelona. I don't think there was any doubt in anyone's mind that that move was happening. So getting Mane at least was going superstar for superstar. The problem, and this is one of the things that I was worried about back then, was that it wasn't a like-for-like like substitution there. Like Mane was not going to bring to you what Lewandowski could. Sure, Mane can score, but was he going to be a significant upgrade over players like Leroy Asane, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, or even Jamal Musiala, who I still will campaign as the best wing on the team? Um, I never thought Mane was going to be one of those players that was so good that you would bring him in and put him into that wing mix. 
Uh, I thought if you were going to bring him in, someone would have to go. And of course, no one did. So when you look at the situation, you see that Mane is, is struggling operating as a striker, which it's not really his role. I mean, if he if Byron was playing somewhat of a 4-4-2 or something like that, he might be able to fill that role. But we're not seeing that at this point. Uh, for Mane, not being able to play as a left wing, I think, has taken away from his game. I think that he has struggled a bit for sure. And, you know, to me, and when I looked at the situation back then, while I was excited to see Byron get a big name at a time where they probably needed a big name, I just had trouble envisioning how this would all work and how it would fit and whose playing time would get reduced in favor of Mane. Because you just don't bring in Sadio Mane to have him sit on the bench. Uh, and even though Byron is doing that now, I will credit Nagelsmann. I think that... Uh, it takes a lot of fortitude to make that decision, uh, to take a player of, of Mane's reputation and of his standing in the game overall and to put him on the bench. I think it, it's a tough decision for a coach to make, but uh, I, I give Nagelsmann credit for doing it. But either way, Mane to me was always a risk because I didn't see how he would fill the void that was needed on the team. And and you already had more than enough wing talent. And to to me... As much as I think maybe I was excited about the prospect of his name and what he potentially could do, I was always very skeptical about how he would fit. And I don't think he has been a great fit. Now, even with all of that said, and even if I don't think Mane was necessarily the best move Byron could have made at the time, I will say it's it's a little early for anyone to jump in and say that he can't absolutely play at Bayern Munich. Now, I don't have as high as expectations for Mane as some others might. Like, I think at this point, it's tough to envision where you play him. Uh, as an attacking midfielder, I don't know that that's the best role suited for him. If you're trying to play him atop the formation, um, frankly, Eric Maxim Chubo Moting has been better. I think he's a better fit in that spot with the way Nagelsmann wants to play. So unless Nagelsmann has a plan to move back to a, a system that will feature wingers, I think Mane is a little miscast in this situation. Does it mean that he has no role whatsoever? No. Uh, like I said, it's a little early to, to throw dirt on his grave here. Um, he's still a great player, but he's going to have to make some changes within his game. He might have to change the way he plays a little bit. And, uh, you know, listen, I don't know if he's capable of that at this time. And that's something we'll find out. What I do know is you have to at least go into next season with him and, and think that he's going to try and make those changes. And you have to give him the opportunity to make those changes. And if Nagelsmann does shift to this back three and he sticks with it, I do think it's a legitimate possibility that there is no role for Sadio Mane. And that, you know, if that is the case and he is in a situation where he's not playing and he might not have great prospects of playing, that he probably would seek to move on because I don't think a player with that standing in the game is, is willing to, is going to be willing to take a bench role. Now this season, things are rolling for Bayern Munich. They're getting ready to face Man City and undoubtedly he's going to play a role at some point in that tie. So I think for him, it's no matter what happens in terms of sitting or starting in the, in the coming weeks, as long as he is in this race in the Bundesliga, as long as he is playing in Europe in terms of competing against Manchester City in one form or another, 
he is going to be okay with all that. But I do think he's going to take a look at the situation. He's going to probably have conversation with Julian Nagelsmann as to where he fits moving forward. And if you just look at how the roster is comprised, it's going to be very difficult for a few of these players, Mane, Serge Gnabry, uh, players that are, to me, operate best as wings. Uh, it, it's going to be very difficult to find roles for them if Nagelsmann sticks with this 3-4-2-1. And I know there's debate. Is it a 3-4-2-1 or a 3-4-1-2? Uh, to me, it just looks like a 3-4-2-1 and operates better. And maybe that's because Thomas Muller is one of those three players at the top of the formation, and he just prefers playing behind the striker. I don't know. Maybe Nagelsmann has a, a little different outlook for that moving forward, which is also a possibility. But either way, you know, it, it leads fans to think about this. Has this Mane move been successful? And while it may be too early to grade it at this point, what do you think you're leaning toward as the season ends? Uh, where do you think you'll fall on this? I think a lot of fans will have their decision swayed by how Mane performs in the coming weeks because he's been good, not great. And as Kerry Howe pointed out, there are some holes within his game that I think are starting to emerge. And if he cannot adapt and find a way to to alter his playing style, to uh, to really change his game as he ages as a person, he is going to probably struggle. But would you do the move again? Um, it's one of the things I think about. And, and I had some doubt, like I said, at the very beginning of it, because I didn't see it. Would I do it again? At this stage, probably not. I might have taken some of that money and tried to direct it toward finding a uh, a more viable number nine to compete with Chupo. Uh, but, hey, that's just me. I, I get why Byron did it. And in my mind, I think that they they had to make some kind of big impactful move. Of course they had Matthijs Delict, but he wasn't going to help the attack. They needed some kind of attacking player to bring in and help ease the loss of Lewandowski and really take some of the pain away and sting away from what ultimately was going to be uh, Lewandowski leaving the team, which of course he did just, I believe it was days after Mane was acquired. So uh, if I remember correctly, the two of them had a nice discussion at Sovereigner Strasse talking about their futures. And of course, for Robert Lewandowski, that future included a move to FC Barcelona not long thereafter. So Mane, uh, the acquisition of him has, has really been discussed and bandied about. But drop to me in the comments what you think about Mane, how he's done, and uh, honestly, uh, where you think this is all going for him? Because I think it is, it's it's a hot topic. It's a le legitimate one for Bayern Munich fans to think about. He obviously brings a very hefty salary with him. So it's one of those situations. Can Bayern also afford to carry someone like him uh, with a salary like that if he's not going to be a major contributor moving forward? But again, this could all be jumping ahead. Maybe Mane gets it together and he's able to salvage his season and and score some very important goals, which we all know he is absolutely capable of in the Champions League. Byron was victimized uh, by Mane uh, a couple of times, if you all remember correctly. So not going to hit on any entertainment this week. Uh, I am set up to watch the final episode, or not the final, the latest episode of The Mandalorian today. So I uh, am a little bit behind on that. I did not watch last week's yet, so I will get to that. But 
as you all know, I am enjoying that and very interested to see where that goes. Otherwise, there is absolutely no entertainment update. So that'll wrap this edition of the weekend warm up up uh, our podcast. I don't know how this will affect any listeners, but it will be shifting to anchor, which really shouldn't really change anything with how it's distributed. We are moving over um, in what we found, or at least we think was the best deal possible for us. And that was to retain all of our previous podcasts and have them moved over. Uh, SBN had offered to do that. So uh, we are moving, but it shouldn't really change any way uh, for you guys, the listeners, for how you find us or anything like that. We, we are going to have to somewhat change the name, I think. But we're working on the logistics of that as well. So hopefully we can do something that doesn't change things too much and makes you all um, able to find us just easily as you do now. But um, it will definitely not be called the Bavarian Football Works podcast any longer. Uh, we have to to kind of look at that and see what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, of course, in any case like this, we have to uh, do something that is uh, going to be agreeable with SBN as we split off as a podcast, not as a site uh, from the greater SBN family. So just to give you that little uh, bit of news, but uh, we'll keep you up to date on all of that. Uh, as always, you can get me on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71, and you can get the mysterious one, I need no name, at BFWINNN. Get all of our great writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. I think we've done some some really good work this week. So if you haven't checked it out this week or you've been slacking on your BFW reading, go back and hit some of the archives and find some of the things we've worked on, some of these stories that we talked about. I think you'll enjoy them. Uh, as always, enjoy the games this weekend. Germany plays Peru on Saturday, I believe. So enjoy that. Have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.